Yay. So now we get to jump in to the Gospel of John. You guys excited? Some over here. Middle was like very poorly represented. I'm sorry. So I'm ready. I'm excited to be in the Gospel of John today. I want to tell you guys something. Uh, I love being here on a Sunday morning. I mean, sincerely. I would rather be no place else than here on a Sunday morning. I love being around all of you. I love being in our life group. As a matter of fact, I I went and, and, and talked about how we're not meeting as a life group this week. And they're like... We're kind of bummed, you know, because we wanted, we thought we were going to meet as a life group this week. And it's like, so I love being around all of you. I really do. I love being a pastor. I love sharing the word of God. I, I really, really do. And so what we're going to talk about today is love, because that's what Jesus talked about all this past week. And so we get to talk about love. Woohoo! Not love. We're talking about love. The way, the way that Jesus talks about love. Now, something I want to I share with you. Because the title of the sermon today is called, What Love Produces. And, and the reason that it's, call, it's called that is because Jesus gives kind of a definition of what love produces that we're going to look at together. But me and you we might be kind of infected by the world's definition of love. The world tries to define love as a feeling. It's a squishy feeling on the inside that makes us, makes you live happily ever after in a Disney movie, right? And, And yet, and the world's kind of bought into that. This is how you can fall in and fall out of love. But this is not a biblical definition of love. And a lot of us, when we think of love, we think of 1 Corinthians 13. But 1 Corinthians 13 are the characteristics of love. What Jesus does here in John chapter 14 and chapter 15 is he begins to talk about love's obligations. That that seems like a weird thing to say, right? That, That we have obligations in love, but the truth is we do. How many of you have ever been to a marriage ceremony before? I have because I'm married. Those of you who are married, raise your hand. (laughs) And you say your vows. And your vows are what? To love one another. This is vows. To have and to hold. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Till death do us part. Right? In good times and in bad. What you're doing, what, what love is, biblically, is more of a pledge. And we'll talk about that. We'll understand what that means. And pledges come with obligations. And so when you stand before a minister, or you stand before the justice of the peace, and you're proclaiming your covenant, your love for one another, it's including these obligations that come with that love. The love is first, and what proceeds out of that love are these obligations. It happens in our marriages. It happens with our kids. We love our kids, and what do we want to do? We want to love them as Christ loves them. So we prepare them to be trained up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, teaching them right from wrong, and guiding them, hopefully, to a relationship with Jesus Christ as we're commanded to do. That's how we love them. If we have friends, I hope you all have friends. 
We love our friends by doing what is best for them. But in order to know what's best for them, we have to have a concrete definition. Something objective to go back to, to say this is what what is best for them looks like. And so my obligation of doing what is best for them continually leads them back to Jesus. This is why Proverbs would say, the wounds of a friend can be trusted. Why? Because they're wanting what is best for you. Right? That even though they're wounding you because you're not getting what you want, they're doing what is best for you, which is drawing you back to an objective standard. When we think about Jesus, Jesus' love for us obligated himself to certain things. We don't think of that, right? Jesus obligated himself, yes. For God so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or in Romans chapter 5 where we're told that Jesus died for the ungodly. Christ demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, that love that Jesus had for us obligated him toward the sacrifice that he was going to make for us from the very beginning of time because we read about that in 1 Peter. He's a a lamb without blemish who was chosen when? When? Before the creation of the world. It was an obligation that if I create the humanity, they're going to sin. If they sin, it's going to separate us. How are we going to bridge this gap? And Jesus says, I love them. I will go. Let's create. We don't think of love that way. But it's how it's consistently defined within the scriptures. And the obligation of love that is produced by love, then produces the characteristics of love that we read in 1 Corinthians 13. You see how that works? Love has an obligation. That obligation produces the characteristics that we read in 1 Corinthians 13. So while 1 Corinthians 13 is a great love chapter, it only happens when we are doing what we're commanded concerning love. So how does our love for Jesus Christ manifest itself? How how is it produced? And and what does love produce according to Jesus? Because these two chapters talk about that. And so we're going to talk about four things that love produces. Those of you who like lists, boom, you got your list today. Four things that love produces. As we... Remember what we've read this past week. The first thing that love produces is this. Obedience to Christ's command. That's the first thing that love produces. If we go to John chapter 14, when Jesus starts talking about love, he takes ten verses and repeats a phrase three times in the positive, one time in the negative, And whenever anything is repeated in the scripture, it's like this exclamation point. If it's repeated twice, where you can say say it three times in a row, it's like, really pay attention. This is actually said four times in a row, in ten verses. It's like Jesus saying, if you don't get nothing else, get this. So let's read it together. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. If you love me, 
you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. Everything we read about that passage of scripture over and over again. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you'll obey my commands and me and my father will make our home in you. He who does not love me does not obey my commands. This is a consistent theme throughout all the scriptures, by the way. Not just in the gospel of John. But obedience to God is tied inextricably together with love right here saying, love produces obedience to his commands. Just like love produces the working out of those vows in front of the pastor for marriage, right? What came first? Well, my love for my wife came before I made those commitments, right? Before I came and said to have and to hold in sickness and in health for this day forward, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, until death do us part, I loved her before I made those commitments, right? But my love produced those commitments. Those were my obligations in love to say, I am here forever for you. Same thing with Jesus. Because of our love for Christ, it produces obedience to his commands. The one who is not obedient to his commands, we're not talking about struggle with the flesh, which all of us struggle with. I'm talking about somebody who just says, I don't want to do it. Jesus, God, accept me for who I am, and I'm going to do things my way. If you don't believe that that is where our culture believes Jesus thinks we should be right now, you're not paying attention. You're not paying attention. And yet, at the same time, we look at different places, such as the Great Commission. Jesus comes to them and says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what? Teaching them to what? To obey everything I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. That within our great commission is the showing of our love that how we make disciples is what do we do? We teach them to what? Obey everything Jesus commanded. You know why? Because love produces obedience to Jesus' commands. And the opposite is true as well. So we can look at Matthew chapter 7 where he begins talking about false teachers and false prophets. And he says these words which should, you know, 
put fear in the heart of anybody who takes for granted the commands of Christ. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he, listen to, only he who what? Does the will of my Father who's in heaven. It's a matter of obedience, right? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. It's an interesting statement. Because here are people who are saying, we prophesied in your name. We did great things. We cast out demons in your name. But you weren't doing the will of the Father. You weren't obeying my commands. You don't love me. I don't even know you. Love for Christ produces obedience to his commands. Can't help it. Not my definition. It's what we read throughout the scripture. Luke chapter 6 and verse 46 Jesus asks a simple question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Love produces obedience to his commands. So that's the first thing. As believers in Christ, obedience is not optional. It's not Our love comes first, but it produces that obedience. I want to be obedient. I want to do the will of God. You know why? Because I want to follow the one who's bought me. That's not the only time we see this this talking about love and what love produces. So the second thing that love produces is a love for one another, a love for fellow believers in Christ. Again, right back to the scriptures, right back to what Jesus talked about when we go back to uh, John chapter 15, starting in verse 9. It says this, as the Father has loved me, as Jesus begins this theme of love again, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love one another. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is an interesting thing. Because in our feeling-oriented society, you could never command somebody to love someone. Have you ever thought about that? I don't have the warm squishies for you. So no pumpkin pie for your dessert. 
But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus has a command for those who are following him. And that command is love each other. This is what he's telling his disciples. Remember, Judas is gone. Judas is not a part of this. This is the 11 who are faithful, who are going to live and die for Jesus after he's died and rose again. And his command to them is this. Command, love each other. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. There is the idea that we could be Christians and have disdain for fellow believers in Jesus Christ is beyond me and beyond the pale because it goes against what we're commanded by Christ himself. I love, man, I love Jesus, but I just, I just hate the church. I love Jesus, but the church is full of hypocrites. I love Jesus, but it's a command. I'll be the first one to say I messed up. Anybody else? Raise your hand if you're a messed up person who is in need of Jesus and following him. I need to be reminded by imperfect people like myself who are looking for a savior to be encouraged in my faith in Jesus Christ, to encourage one another, to build each other up in love as we are called to do and commanded in love to love one another. What a huge testimony against the church, those who would be called by his namesake, that we would spend our love first on an unbelieving world who cares nothing about Jesus than a brother or sister, imperfect as they may be, within our midst. It's all reason why we have life groups is so that we can learn to love one another, get around each other, spend some time around one another, encouraging one another up in the faith because we are commanded It's not a suggestion. It's a command to do it. You're supposed to know the people who are beside you in faith. You're supposed to know what's going on in their lives. So that you can encourage them to faith and good works. To love and good deeds. These are all things that we are called to do as believers in Christ. And commanded by Jesus to do. But the believer who says, I I don't want anything to do with the church. I want anything to do with organized religion. So you'd rather disorganized religion? I don't get it. I don't understand. What you really don't want is love that produces accountability. That drives you back to obedience to Christ. Because that's what love does. You love one another. And how do we love Jesus? Because we're loving one another by helping each other love Jesus better. How do we love Jesus better? By obeying his commands. So the nature of loving one another produces accountability. Why? So that we might have fruit that lasts. We're called to produce fruit. That's the verses before this. He is the vine. We are the branches. Without him, we can do nothing. And yet he calls us to love one another so our fruit will last. You can't separate these. They're all intertwined like this big vine. I need you. You need me. No matter what you think of Clemson. I need you. You need me. No matter if I got on your nerves this past week, which I might have. No matter if you're mad at me for calling you out on something. No matter if I'm mad at you for calling me out on something. Because we are called and commanded to love one another. And love produces love for one another. 
Because we're commanded to. Can't help it. It's what we're called to be in Christ. And so unlike popular culture, you can be commanded to love. Because love's an action. Love is a pledge. Just like when I'm standing before, again, I'm going to keep bringing this up, but when I'm standing before in front of a pastor who is marrying somebody, guess what? You're making a pledge. You're making a commitment. You're saying, I'm going to do these things for this other person because love produces this. For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, when it's good times and in bad, when they're on my nerves and when they're not on my nerves. You know what? I've made a pledge to love them. So I don't fall out of love because falling out of love is simply saying, I break my pledge. I choose not to do it. That's all it means, guys. Because you can be commanded to love. You can choose not to do it. And it's basically a breaking a pledge. It's just, it's an attitude. It's a, it's a decision to say, I will not follow through with what I said. And it's not love. It's not. So when we're called to love one another, guess what? This place becomes important. I meant what I said. I love coming in this place every Sunday. I get to see all the people who get to encourage me in my walk with Jesus Christ. And in some form or fashion, hopefully, I get to encourage you with the words of Christ. So that we might be encouraged to do greater things in love and good deeds and produce fruit that lasts. So the people you're inviting to church, I want them to stay. I hope you do too. I want to get to know these people. I hope you do too. I want to love them by making a pledge for their good that they're going to hear about Jesus from me and I'm going to encourage them into that love because of what Jesus has done for me. And I hope you do too. And I hope you start with the people in this room. This is why we do the life groups, guys. So it's a plug for life groups. If you're not a part of the life group, you need to be. This is how we start to love one another. As much as I love getting in this great big room, I don't get a chance to talk with all of you. And you guys aren't going to all get a chance to hold me accountable. Although that might be for the pastor's point of view. Like, write that letter. (laughs) You should do that. I saw that. Okay, that's fine. But you need it too. You need it too. Because this is how we love one another. Leads us to our third thing. Of what love produces. This one's very counterintuitive. Love produces hate. What? Love produces hate. If you love Jesus well, people will hate you. Not my words, his. Let's take a look. John 15, 18 through 25. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. 
If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Jesus' promise to you is that if we love him, the world will hate us. I'm sorry. That's his word, not mine. Because the world will not see you as their own. He not only says that they hate us, but as an extension, they hate him and they hate the Father in heaven. Hate. It's a strong word. But that's not my words, that's his. If the world loved us, they'd have no problem with us. So if the world around you that is dead sent against Christ is very happy with you, you might have a problem. Just being honest. You might have a problem. Maybe you're compromising a little bit too much to be liked a little bit too well by a world around you that wants nothing to do with Jesus. All of us like to be liked. Myself included. All of us want that affirmation. But the only affirmation we should, be, we should be looking for is that of Christ and the obedience to his commands and the gathering together of believers to encourage one another up because we need this place together so that we can go out and live boldly for Jesus because the world doesn't love Jesus. And at every turn... They're going to tell you to compromise. At every turn, you don't have to be a stickler in this area or in that area or in that area. You can still love Jesus and still do this that Jesus hates. And if you start doing that, then it's so funny that the world loves the Christians that aren't acting like Christians. Have you guys ever noticed that? I, you know, I want this Christian over here that's compromised sexually. I want this Christian over here that is compromised in his language. I want this Christian over here that doesn't hold really... They, they treat Jesus as... They're more like guidelines. You start standing firm because you love Jesus to obey his commands. You start getting pushback from the world who doesn't want anything to do with his commands. Make no mistake, that is not just hatred for you. That's hatred for Jesus. That's hatred for God. It's rebellion. Is that what you want to be a part of? Is that what you want to yoke yourself to? So he warns his disciples. And we jump into chapter 16, those first four verses together. Because he continues the same thought. He says, all of this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. 
And they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. And I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Have you guys, has that ever, did that, when you read that this week, did that kind of blow your mind a little bit? Wait a second, you, you didn't tell us this because you were with me. I don't understand. Why, why did we, so you're telling us now before you're leaving, but you didn't tell us before because you were with me. Why does that make a difference? Because Jesus was with them physically, they could see how they were treating Jesus. Everything that's about to happen to Jesus because of their hatred of Christ, the near stonings that he's gone into in all of these different places, the the crowds that both loved him on the one end and the Pharisees that hated him, they've seen. Because physically, he's there. And when Jesus spoke against them, the Pharisees couldn't turn around and say, well, Jesus is cool with this, because Jesus was right there. I've told you this while I am with you. I I didn't say anything because you could see it, but I'm about to go to the Father, right? And when I go to the Father, you're no longer going to see me. Physically, he's not going to be there. He's going to be in us. The Holy Spirit is going to be there guiding us. But physically, he's not here anymore. We don't get to go and turn and say, Jesus, is that what you said? No, that's not what I said. So we're going to get a lot of charlatans that are out there that are going to claim that Jesus is okay with blank. Jesus is okay with blank, and Jesus is okay with this. This is why we can have churches down the road who celebrate all the LGBTQ stuff and say, it's totally fine for you to live this way. And any sexual orientation that you want, it's all yours. You can do it, and God is happy with you. See, they use the name of God, but they don't really love him. And Jesus said this so that me and you would know the difference. So that we could lovingly tell them, no, you're in rebellion. You need to come to Jesus. He loves you. But love for Jesus produces obedience to his commands and a love for his people. And guess who these people do not like? They do not like churches that proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So do they love God according to Jesus' definition? No. Because they neither love God's people, nor do they want to obey his commands. Oh, man. I just want to be liked. They're going to put you out of the synagogue. They're going to kill you and think that they're doing a service to God. In their hatred of God. Think about that. Christ's definition. Church, I know, we don't we want to be liked. We so want to be liked. And nobody's saying go and be a butt to your neighbor. Okay? We're called to love our neighbor, but we have to do it by defining it according to his terms. Because love produces these obligations. Love produces obedience to Jesus' commands. So I cannot love my neighbor while proclaiming something that's contrary to Christ's commands. I have to lead them to Christ and to obedience in order to love them well. Not my definition, his. So that the result of that, the characteristics that come forth from that obedience is what we read in 1 Corinthians 13. Love being patient, love being kind, keeping no records of wrongs. Rejoicing in the truth. 
All of those things come from those who are being obedient to Christ. Because that's what love produces. The fourth thing that love produces. Peace and joy. Isn't it great? We're talking about Christmas. Peace and joy. Chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So peace, you want peace from Jesus. Please understand a couple of things. It's not as the world gives. The idea of peace for the world is an absence of conflict. Man, I would love an absence. Nobody likes to be in conflict, right? I don't like being in conflict. How many of you like arguing? Well, some of you might, I'm just saying. But I'm talking like heated arguments. We're not talking about debates. Okay? We're not talking about debates. We're not talking about fun little arguments like why Clemson is the best team. Or not. Right? This isn't fun little arguments. We're talking about heated arguments that tear apart relationships that hit to the core, that afterwards you're in tears or you're just hurt to the soul that maybe I've ruined something between us. Who likes those? I sure don't. But I don't see anything in the scripture that says I can avoid those. It can't be the peace that Jesus is promising. He says, I will give you my peace. Let me tell you what that peace is. The peace of knowing that I'm being obedient to Christ. The peace of no regrets concerning the sharing of the testimony of Christ and loving others well, though they may receive it differently than I am intending them to accept. Here is Jesus. I'm wanting to bring you to the doorstep of obeying his commands and realizing your sin and bringing you to a place of repentance. I don't need that. You're just a hater. I I don't mean to say it that way. He died for you. He loves you. It's the same as for me. I had to do the same thing. I don't care. Some of us tried to avoid those conversations over this past weekend. We did for the sake of a false sense of peace. But then we go to sleep at night and we're still praying for them. You know why? Because they don't know Jesus. And we didn't share like we thought we should have. You see, you see that lack of peace? Whereas if I shared and they simply rejected, I have peace before God that I have done what everything that God requires in my love for him. Because love produces obedience to his commands. So I witnessed as hard as it was, and you know what? I have a peace. I planted that seed. God gets to water it. I can let it go. But if I chose not to plant that seed, I have no peace. Because I chose the world's definition of peace, which is peace without conflict. 
He wants to give us a greater peace. A greater peace. But it only comes when we're walking in obedience with him. And joy. Man, I want joy. John 15, 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What are the verses preceding? You have to know the context, right? The context is what? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed the Father's commands and remained in his love. And I've told you this, that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be complete. There is a joy in fulfilling the commands of God in our life because of our love for Jesus Christ. Remain in my love. Why? How? By obeying my commands. By obeying my commands, you not only receive the peace that the world cannot give you, you receive joy. Joy. That you might receive joy. What is about to happen to Jesus? Let's get context. He's about to go and die for us on the cross. This is right before all of that is happening. And he speaks of joy. It can't be happiness. Because I guarantee you Jesus is not happy on the cross. I guarantee you when we get to Gethsemane and he's praying these sweat droplets of blood because of what is coming to come upon him. It is not happiness. It is the joy that is set before him. And the joy is a condition of the heart that cannot be taken away by circumstance or feeling. It's abiding. I have joy in my heart because of what Jesus has done for me. I have joy that he wants me to experience by being in obedience to his commands. It gives me a peace that the world cannot give me. Because my love produces obedience to his commands, which results in loving one another for the encouragement of believers that we might produce fruit that lasts, that gives us peace and joy even though the world hates us. Oh, that's different, isn't it? That's different. But this, biblically, Is what love produces. This is what we're called to as believers in Jesus Christ. There is no other definition of love. This is what love produces. This is what love requires of us. It brings us to the point that we've made a pledge before God. That he's our God because of what Jesus has done. I'm following him. And as a result of that, my love is worked out in obedience. I get peace, I get joy, I get fellowship with other like-minded believers, imperfect as we are, going in the same direction so that we might bring others along with us and they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and his great love for us. But that love means obedience. Obedience to him and not the world around us. The world's not going to understand. And if we come from a worldly perspective, we're going to be challenged because these are the words of Christ and you're going to have to deal with that. But he loved you enough to come and die for you. He didn't just love. His love produced his willingness to come and die for you because he loved us so much. 
That's what we're reading about. This is why Jesus says, you know, if I had not produced in them the miracles that nobody else had done, they would not be guilty of sin. But I have done this, and they have shown that they have hated me, and they have hated my Father who has sent me. And all he did was show them that he was the promise that God had promised them a long time ago. And this was love actualized. How cool is that? How cool is that? Can we give him anything less? Would you stand with me? Close your eyes, bow your heads for just a moment. I want to ask some questions that I just want you and God, you and God. Is the love of Christ producing obedience to his commands in your life? If not, might I suggest that you need to come to know Jesus? Is your love for Jesus Christ bringing you to a place where you love other believers in Christ? If not, then you need to follow his command to love one another. Is your love for Jesus producing hatred around you from a world who knows nothing of Jesus and wants nothing to do with Jesus. If not, then maybe you're settling for a false sense of peace. And do you have peace and joy from being obedient to Jesus' commands no matter what that means for the circumstances around you? If you do, that's what it means to abide in Christ. And that's what he wants for each one of us. God, I pray for every one of us today, dear Heavenly Father. I pray for every one of us to love you better. Disobedience to your commands is not love, it's hate. We've got to just say it for what it is. And so, God, I pray in the name of Jesus, you will perfect our love by producing in us obedience to your commands. I pray that you will help us in our fellowship one to another because your love is supposed to produce in us a love, a deep, abiding love for one another, to encourage one another, to lift each other up, to draw us closer to your commands and to yourself. We are proving ground here in this place that we have made these pledges before you as believers in Jesus Christ, be your followers, help us to encourage one another to that end. Help us, O oh God, to stand uncompromisingly for you in a world, dear Heavenly Father, that does not love you. And give us what you've promised, that as we do that, that we will have a deep abiding peace and joy that only comes from obedience to your commands that is produced out of our love for you. 
let us not just love with words, but in deeds as well. That we might prove ourselves to be your disciples. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And if any here do not know the love of Jesus, if any here are unfamiliar with this type of peace and love and what you you have done for us, I pray that they would begin to ask those questions, that they might abide in your love because you have sent Jesus to die for them. And we thank you for this message of grace that you've given us. In the name of Jesus, amen.